0: Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright, and today we get to look at... The gospel lesson specifically for the 16th Sunday after Pentecost. And we continue with Jesus teaching and preaching what the kingdom of God is about and what and who we are and what we get with this. And today we have Jesus telling us yet another parable. It is a well-known parable of the rich man and Lazarus. The first interesting thing I would like to point out is that Lazarus is named, but the rich man is not. And I I think that tells us a lot of who Lazarus is and who the rich man is. Notice his identity is connected and found in who and what he is, a rich man. And Lazarus has a name. And notice it's not poor Lazarus, it's not sick Lazarus, it's not open sore Lazarus, it's just Lazarus. And so you have Jesus telling this parable to make a larger point. And, of course, we have Lazarus, who was a poor man who laid at the gates of the rich man. And he was covered with sores. Uh, He desired to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs that came near him to lick his sores, he could not fend off. He could not push them away. That is how poor of health Lazarus was, that he literally was laying there in front of the gates of the rich man, and he just laid there, hoping to be cared for, hoping to be fed, hoping to be defended from even the dogs, and nothing happened. And then we hear that they both died. And here again, we have this interesting statement. And this is verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abram's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Right there, notice that we have Lazarus, who is brought to Abraham's bosom. He is taken up into heaven. And of the rich man, who again is unnamed, is just buried. He is just put in the ground. No ceremony, no discussion, just... He died and was buried. Again, I think this says a lot. It shows who he is. He is a rich man who died. But we have Lazarus, who not only dies, but is taken into the bosom of Abraham, the one who is the father of Israel, the father, the spiritual father of who and what we are, the descendants that we get to be come from the promise originally given to Abraham. And we see that fulfillment in Lazarus, in his last place that he gets to go. That is the fulfillment of the promised land, the fulfillment of all that Jesus came to do. And the rich man, what does he get? He gets a nice place in the dirt. And we hear how great this is. He looks up and sees Abraham and sees that Lazarus is at his side. And even in Hades, even in the fullness of Death, And this is the big D, death. This is damnation. This is uh, the wrath of God being laid out upon him. He looks up and makes demands. And we hear that he says to Abraham, uh, again, verse 24, And he called out, Father Abraham. And notice, he is claiming connection. He is claiming relationship. He is saying, hey, remember me? I am one of your sons. I am one of those who is connected to the promise that was given to you. I am one of your descendants. But if he was really a descendant, would he just be buried? Would he just be in hell. And so he's trying to make this claim. He's trying to cash in on what he said he was, what he thinks he has, calling out to to Abraham. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am anguish in this flame. So once again, we get a little peek into hell. And so we get Fire, we get this burning, and we have this rich man seeking comfort, seeking relief, seeking a way to have respite, and he sees it in Lazarus. Notice once again that he sees Lazarus as somebody who is to serve, somebody who is to benefit him. He's looking for comfort, and it's going to come from Lazarus Doing something. Now let's flip this over. You had Lazarus laying at the gate of the rich man, hoping for just mere crumbs from the rich man's table. For whatever reason, the rich man did not do anything to help, to provide comfort, benefit to Lazarus, but literally let him die. And now the rich man, in his anguish, And remember, dear listener, eternal anguish asks for just a drop of water to be placed on the parched tongue that is being baked and cooked in the flames of hell. Abraham has an answer for this rich man, and he says, But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime— You received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner, bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And so, again, we see that there's this great chasm between heaven and hell, as we should expect. And Abraham points out, as was just mentioned, that during life, this rich man was blessed by God with wealth, with comfort, with peace, with everything he needed. And what did he not do? He didn't help his neighbor, his neighbor who is lying at the gate and Abraham points out that you had all this good, and Lazarus, in a like manner, had all this bad. Now, I would like to to pause here and and break from the the parable just to make this point, that just because you have wealth— or you have comfort, or you have good things in your life, this doesn't mean that this is all that you have and that when you die, you're going to have to suffer hell because you had good things in life. And if you have poor things in life, if you have bad health, if you don't have money, don't have clothes, don't have whatever, it doesn't mean that you automatically get to enter into heaven. Either way you look at this on either side, this is a works righteousness, and this is placing your faith in things that are outside of Christ, outside of the full promise of how and where heaven is. Heaven is in Christ because of Christ. This is what we're baptized into. This is the object of our faith. It is the work of God in Christ revealed through the Holy Ghost. And if we don't have these gifts, if we don't have this promise of faith, then we are looking at who and what we are. What have we done? What have we not done? And then we actually, if we continue the way that this is set up, we get to say, well, I'm poor. I don't have, I don't, I didn't get, so God must then pay retribution or uh, reparation or make up for what I didn't have. Now we're putting our trust in this justice that we think we are owed. And we need to be really careful with this, because if we really consider what justice is, getting what you deserve, then as we confess before every divine service, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. That means that we deserve punishment right here, right now, for all our sins, our disobedience, and everything that we do and don't do according to God's law— And we deserve, as the rich man ends up, in eternal damnation. But, again, we need to understand, if Christ is at the center, the one who brings salvation to the likes of the rich man, the salvation brought to the poor man, the one who brings salvation to the world, this is who we trust. We don't trust in our wealth. We don't trust in our lack of wealth. We are pointed to Christ and Christ alone. So I, I want to make this point because this is the big overarching point that our Lord is bringing to bear in this parable that He is the way, He is the life, He is the one who rescues and brings salvation. And we need to be very careful about how we look at this. Because when we put our trust, when we put our love, when we put our faith in things outside of Christ, well, we're idolatrous. We are looking for something else more than what God has provided. And the question is quickly asked— What has God not provided? What has God not given, especially to the means of salvation? And we see in this parable, the rich man has totally missed the boat on this. And even in hell, he is claiming connection to Abraham, the promise, connection to the gifts that were given to Abraham. And, of course, he's going to do this By nationality. He's going to do this by proxy or convenience or I was there. And he's missing the point of faith. He's missing the point of trust. He is simply making demands. And again, we hear that the great chasm was separated and that Lazarus, in fact, cannot serve him. And then he, the rich man, said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into the place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. That last statement is just huge. And the simple fact that we have the rich men, and it seems, and Please, listener, hear that we don't know the fullness of this man's life. Did he live a debaucherous, self-centered, selfish life? Maybe. Was he close to his friends? Maybe. I don't know. All we have is him making this plea. He realizes that he is lost. He is lost to the torments of hell. And so he thinks outside of himself and says, Send Lazarus to warn my brothers so they don't end up in here, in hell. That's a good thing. And we should commend him for thinking outside of himself, so on and so forth. But Abraham is quick to point out, You are lost. And your brothers, they have the prophets, they have Moses, they have the Bible, which reveals and points to the way of salvation. Let them hear God's word as God gives it to them, as God reveals it to them. And notice the rich man They're not going to read the Bible. They're not going to listen to Moses. They're not going to listen to the prophets. They're not going to listen to the pastor. They're not going to listen to the preaching of God's word. They need something better. Big. They need something special. They need something extraordinary. They need to have this huge mountaintop experience that will convince them that hell is real, that salvation needs to happen for them to be able to find the comfort and peace of heaven. Send Lazarus from the dead because people will see that the dead will rise and that they will hear this promise, and they will repent. They need something special and bigger than what Scripture promises. Once again, we see that the rich man is putting his faith and trust in something different, not God's Word, but an experience, not in the promise revealed through Scripture, the promise of the coming Messiah, the promise of Christ who lives the perfect life, dies the perfect death, crucified and suffering the wrath that each and every one of us deserve. But the rich man places his hope in the fact that if this mere poor dead man comes back, that his brothers will see the bigness of this and change their ways. And Abraham has nothing of this. Abraham says, Nope, not going to happen. And that last statement, that last verse, verse 31, he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And I just love this statement from Jesus. For the simple fact that he is already laying the groundwork for his rejection, his rejection as he comes back from the dead, the resurrection, the promise that he will conquer the grave, that he will conquer death, that he will conquer sin, that he will conquer hell itself and will come back and say to the world, to all those dead and alive, that I have defeated everything that would separate you from God, from promise, from grace, from mercy, from forever in salvation. Look at me and know that because I live, you too will live. And what does the world say? What does your flesh say? Your old Adam? Pfft, so what? What? not only that, but it is a rejection. It's, did he really come back from the dead? That's not right. And yet we have from Genesis 3.15 all the way through the rest of the Bible, the pointing to who Jesus is, what Jesus is going to do. And then he shows up and does it. But yet the sinful flesh, the world, still continues to reject, still seeks to find reason, to find signs, to find wisdom that will explain this, this gift, this promise, this life that we have in Christ. And so even if somebody comes back from the dead, they will not hear. Jesus was very open about this throughout his ministry, Even the disciples look at St. Peter when Jesus says that the Son of Man needs to be betrayed, handed over, beaten and suffered and tortured and die on the cross. Immediately, thinking with the flesh, thinking with emotion, we have St. Peter who says, No, do not fulfill your promise. Do not fulfill why you have come. And again, St. Peter doesn't want his friend to die, doesn't want his friend, his teacher, his companion in this mission and life to die. This is very human. But we see that even the rich man misses that. He wants this big experience for his brothers so that they will change but that big experience happened. It happened in Jesus. It happened in the promise. And it is revealed to us through the work of the Holy Spirit as Scripture is open to us. And dear listener, this is exactly what we need to do. We need to heed the warnings of what Scripture says that we are to repent, that we are to change our ways, our life, because that is exactly what has happened in baptism. And to repent means to do that, turn away from our former life of death, our former life of wrath and destruction, and live fully in the participatory life of Christ. That means that we get to participate in his mercy, his grace, his love, his righteousness, his holiness. We get to bask in the work that God has given to us in Christ our Lord. These are the works that the rich man missed out on. These are the works that the rich man did not partake in. He lived for the self. He lived in the gifts that God gave him, but misused them, not attributing them, not using them as the gifts they are, but used them for his comfort, his peace, his comfort in this life. And that's exactly what he had. He had this life and not the life to come. And so this is a great text to be reminded, hell is real, but so is heaven, so is salvation, so is forgiveness. And we run to the cross, we run to the outstretched hands of mercy that our Lord provides in Christ. And we hold on to that because we know that we are the poor in spirit, we are the poor who need the work and richness of the wondrous gifts of Christ, who, without question, pours forth his treasures of his holy, innocent blood so that we will know hope, we will know promise, we will know salvation facing the challenges of this life. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.